Welcome to True North Strong, a sports performance podcast, and I'm your host, Jay Malhado. Join me as I chat with some of the top sports performance practitioners from far and wide and discuss from a uniquely Canadian perspective all things sport and human performance. My goal is that within these conversations, we will uncover the through lines that connect us all. Welcome to True North Strong, a sports performance podcast. Uh, my guest today is Tommy Jingra, who is a performance coach at the University of, of Alberta with men's and women's track and field. He also has a great podcast called The Speed Strength Show uh, with Braden Southern, uh, which has really grown over the last... I had been running in the summers just for fun, and I thought, ah, maybe, maybe I'll give you know one last go and use that last year of eligibility. And so I explored the, the avenue to compete on the team in my master's and then ultimately decided that there was opportunities to coach and be involved with the team and be involved in the sport of track and field and being in the master's and kind of having the, the hat on where you go, I want to learn more, I want to explore more, use that as an opportunity to kind of dive into the sport of, of track and field. And so that's how I've kind of ended up in a blended role of track and strength and conditioning as as my role and has that um you know your technical proficiency and education as far as going through track and field coaching certifications and and your experience within the sport itself has that that has obviously helped you with that blended role right whether that's communicating to the coaches or communicating to the student athletes themselves but how has that helped maybe progress you in a different way than when you worked with other sports, because you were, you were actually strength and conditioning coach at Waterloo as well. Um, yep. you know, with court after, sports. after graduation. Yeah. Um, you know, how are those differences when you deal with the sports, maybe that you didn't play, you're still familiar, but maybe you didn't play or have the technical uh, coaching background versus, you know, where you are now in, in, in track and field. Yeah. I won't make any comment on uh, like the formal stuff uh, from like the NCCP and stuff like that. Right. Cause it's, something that's more just, it's a requirement to, to be coaching in the sport, but the real value in my learning and development from seeing, seeing sprinting, seeing jumping, seeing things like that has come from the time spent at the facility. And you get to watch a lot more accelerations, top speed runs, jumps, than you get to do in other sports. And that's been the big the big difference was being able to dive into that environment and you get to see rep after rep and rep after rep. And you need that because it's such a high velocity thing. Nobody accelerates and sprints and jumps and track and field in slow motion. And it's easy to see stuff in video when you slow it down. But when you get to see all those reps at high speed live right in front of you, it really helps you develop your, your coach's eye, let's call it and start to be able to pick out what am I looking for? What are the movements that are correct? And then what are the idiosyncrasies that each individual athlete has or the bandwidth of their movement ability that then makes you say, yeah, that person was accelerating well. And that person was accelerating well, but they both did it a little bit differently. So being able to really dive into the sport and see the reps was, was the game changer for me. Yeah, I think you, you you mentioned it, right? Like the, the more exposed you are to, a, you know, a movement pattern and, and, you know, if we're talking about 
like you mentioned, sprints and, and top end speed mechanics, just like, you know, someone who lives in the weight room is going to be the same eye with a squat or a clean or, or something like that, because they've seen thousands of reps, your eyes become that slow motion that you would need on, on a, on an iPad, right? You start to see things slower. Um, you start to understand where to look and in what order to look at those things. And you also understand as well where to look from. Um, I mean, I remember coaching you um, in high school and we would do some on-track, you know, work and in the summertime and I would be standing, you know, on the other end of the field, like as you were whipping around the bend or the straight, because you you can't see that close up. If, if you're too close, you saw one step or two steps in your field of vision, right? And and so I remember standing way back there um, to be able to see the pattern, have the ability to be a you know a technical coach or go through those processes. Then it just you're at practice every day now, and now you're you're accelerating that coach's eye, right? The time it's going to take you versus if I'm just performance coach, you know, maybe I'm coming to practice once or twice a week just to check on how things are going, but I'm not there every single day and every single rep. Like I mentioned, yeah, you, you kind of had some stops with multiple, with other sports. Can you just kind of chat about where those stops were and also how those have prepared you for, you know, a, a special single sport role like you are in now? Yeah. So I was at Waterloo initially working with court sports. So volleyball, basketball, and that was sort of my first, uh, first role with a lot of responsibility where I was in charge of programming and delivering the programming to, to those teams and working with the athletes and, and making decisions for the first time. Um, and then I was at McMaster for a little bit as well and worked with a wide variety of sports in my time there. So, those couple of years were, were really great for me to kind of experiment with a couple of things in terms of, you know, my coaching style, what exercises was I competent and comfortable teaching, which exercises was I not so comfortable with and being able to identify that and, and working through the ability to analyze different sports. What are the needs? What are the characteristics? What do I see on the court or on the field? And then how can I try to bring that element into the weight room. So being exposed to a number of different kind of team cultures, team sports and, and environments like that, I think prepared me to use a number of different solutions. So then by the time I'm where I'm at now working kind of solely with track and field athletes, it's, it's given me the, the base of experience to now narrow down from all those different experiences which ones were important and then which ones do I carry forward with me specifically in track and field based on the athletes I work with and what I see. And that could change moving forward if I go into a different sport or somewhere else. But I'd say those stops at Waterloo and McMaster were great for building the base and giving me a wide range of experiences to now draw on moving forward. Yeah, I think that that definitely goes um, underrated at times people want to kind of specialize really quick coaches want to specialize really quick because that's you know it's exciting to work with either a smaller number of of athletes or or a single sport that maybe you really enjoy but 
like you said, I think it's important to set their foundation and, and get exposed to a lot of different things in a similar way we ask, we ask our athletes to as well, right? It's experiment it's exactly the same. sports, yeah. And so, um, and then that way you have a larger kind of pool to draw on. And, and even though, you know, and, and which we'll get into later, track and field is highly specialized, but- um, Very you know, specialized, <laughs> very yeah, but if you are doing something in the early off season and you just want to change them up or challenge you challenge them in a different way, well, now you maybe are pulling from a volleyball workout you did or, or pulling from something that worked with uh, hockey, you know, just just to give them a different stimulus for a week or two just to kind of shake things up. So uh, another great part of this is is getting to know you a little bit outside of the weight room and and. Uh, we know each other, but I, I don't know uh, some of these things. So it's going to be learning for me too. Uh, we're going to get into a little rapid fire. Okay. You I'm have, ready. <laughs> you have not seen these questions before. So it's going to be kind of a, a true reaction. Um, okay. Just kind of first thing that comes to your mind, your favorite movie. Oh, first thing that comes to mind is probably Talladega Nights. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, I like that it makes a bit of, makes a bit of fun of motorsport. I'm a big motorsport fan. Favorite uh, book? Oh, favorite book. I don't read a whole lot. Okay. Um, Comic books count. The the first, <laughs> I read Arnold's biography. Uh, I read his autobiography about, say, three months ago. Okay. And there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know about him in terms of his journey from Austria to the States and being like a real estate entrepreneur and like all kinds of, all kinds of wild stuff that I didn't know that he was doing. Cause I think the bodybuilding in the Hollywood take center that. stage, but there were a lot of things he was doing in the background where I was like, wow. Awesome. I'm going to check it out. I like um, biographies and autobiographies. So favorite, I know you guys talk a lot of music on your podcast at the end, but uh, favorite song or artist. Oh, oh, you can't do that to me. Oh, man. There's always a little bit of recency bias with, with favorite song. If I had to pick maybe a, like an artist that has been most consistent over like the years. Oh, I. We're going to go to favorite food, healthy food. Oh, seafood. Seafood, okay. And smoked salmon in that category would by far my favorite. Not okay. even close. Favorite food, guilty pleasure. Cheesecake. Cheesecake. Again, not even close. <laughs> okay, quick. Clear cut winners. Okay. Um, you know, a major focus of this podcast is kind of the Canadian stories and the Canadian piece to this, um, you know, human performance and sport performance. So um, we're going to go a little Canadiana and your favorite Canadian city that you've visited visited not lived in well lived in yeah lived in or visited yeah waterloo okay. it sounds biased <laughs> but okay it, fantastic place a lot of great people i have nothing but good memories thinking back about the five years i lived there went to school there worked there yeah okay great spot very um, biased but yeah. great spot that's all right you spend some time there right you get entrenched in the community and and again the 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 social piece meeting a lot of friends there um, plays into it for sure. Favorite, like a Canadian city that you'd love to visit that you haven't yet. And where would it be? It would be anywhere out East. Okay. I haven't been to 
any of the like maritime provinces. And we were supposed to be at uh, University of New Brunswick this year for U Sports Nationals with track. So that was going to be my chance to go out there. But obviously, COVID shut everything down. Right. So that's definitely, uh, you know, a bucket list place for me as well. I've been to Halifax, but um, I want to kind of see PEI and, and some other places out there as well. Favorite place you've visited overall? So not not necessarily Canada, but uh, if you've traveled much, uh, kind of what's what's the favorite place you've been to? I've only traveled to the States as like another country yeah. that I've been to, but it hasn't even been that much. I mean, I've, honestly, one of my favorite cities to travel to is Montreal. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, like a lot of like old Montreal is, is really cool and it's, it's fun to be there. And a lot of my cousins, family, both my parents are from there. So going to Montreal is always, always a good time. It's definitely, always look forward yeah. to going there. It's a world-class city for sure. For sure. Uh, is there a dream destination uh, you'd love to go to? Money's not an object. COVID's not a, you know, a restriction. Uh, where would you love to see? Japan. Nice. Japan yeah. has such a rich motorsport culture in history. I'd love to be able to go visit like some of the track, visit like the Honda Museum and some of the race factories and watch some of the races of right. Um, there's I feel like there's a lot of fun stuff that could explore there. So if money's no object, that's the trip. It's Japan. Okay. Um you know, again, we in Canada are lucky. We lucky, and some people say unlucky, but we get all four seasons here. Uh, you know, you get a little bit more of some than others out in in uh, Alberta, but ten months um, of winter. <laughs> what's your favorite season? That's a good one to pick for sure. Um, the next piece, you know, I, I've I've got this term from from a coach a few years ago, maybe when he was describing his program and some of the things as far as like team culture. Uh, and he calls it a separator. And he, he was saying, you know, the things that we can do to separate ourselves uh, as a team will take us, you know, to the next step. And, and I really like that term separator. Ooh, I'd probably pick the fall. Okay. Yeah. Leaves uh, are falling, colors changing. Actually has not, it's more to do with, I don't really like the humid, the hum, the humidity kills me. I hate it and I don't handle it very well. So now like September, October, where it's still warm enough to go out in t-shirt and shorts, but it's not like middle of the summer humidity and the snow hasn't shown up yet. Right. That's it's, it's, it's the perfect balance. Yeah. That's definitely, you know, a great time sport. You know, there's a lot of outdoor sports that are starting up or continuing it's playoff time for certain sports, you know, and there's some things that you, you know, you do as far as bringing things from the track uh, and that world into team sport and just kind of making it a little bit more um, digestible and under, uh, you know, easier to understand for, for performance coaches who don't spend a lot of time in that track environment. And I think that's your separator. I think that's, you know, a lot of times when I call you, um, that's what I'm asking. Hey, I saw this, you know, from a certain, you know, track coach or, or account or something. I really like it. I think it has value but I don't know really what they're trying to do with it or, or how it's placed within my progression model. And so, you know, if you can just walk us through a little bit of the, of that, as far as maybe some, some of these drills and, and how we use them as constraints to create certain 
you know, changes or adaptations um, and just some of the things that we should be mindful as we start to program some speed stuff. Yeah. I, first off, appreciate the, the kind words. That's always, it's always nice to hear. And, you know, I'm thankful that you, you think of me in that way and that kind of your go-to guy for that and bring me on the show and that type of stuff. So like I said, first off, that's, you know, thank you. And I, I really do appreciate that. Yeah. So hopefully what we talk about today, you know, helps some of the listeners as well. And so there's, if there's two big things I've taken away from, I mean, wow, it's been, this is the fourth year I'm working with track and field. It doesn't feel like it's been that long, but it's, it's been that long. And if there's a couple of things like big things that I've taken away that I would now bring with me if I was to go back to the team sport or other sport environment, it's the idea that we don't want to stray too far from speed in terms of what we're doing with our training. And it's my time with track and field has reshaped my thinking of speed and change of direction as high velocity coordination. So really the underlying thing that happens with sprinting fast or cutting, changing direction, anything like that is the body has to coordinate a lot of things at a high rate of speed in a short period of time. And that reframing of the task has really helped me explore how to use drills, where they'd be relevant, where they wouldn't be relevant, depending on the sport or the athlete or other things like that. So those would be the two kind of big things that I'll probably take forward with me for the rest of my coaching career is don't stray too far from speed and maybe start thinking about speed and change of direction as high velocity coordination, because that's going to really help you use and decipher some of these drills. I really like that. I really like that. Essentially kind of like definition or, or reframing of what, how we think about speed as far as, like you said, a high velocity coordination. I really kind of like that. Um, so I just, I used I'd, to just think of it in terms of output, right? We're going, this is a high intensity movement. There's a lot of output and that's how I account for it. But the coordination piece is where I've gotten more comfortable with, with drills and other aspects that lie outside of just running as fast as you can. Right. And so it's kind of speaking of that, like if that's the focus now, if we're thinking about reframing that, then how do we use some of these drills, you know, that we've all seen before, whether it's wickets or whether it's, you know, overhead stick running or, or things like that, that the outcome we're trying to get is high velocity coordination. So how do these drills fit? Um, you know, can you help us decipher some of that? Or Yeah. So the, you've talked about some of the drills and there's obviously a lot out there, right? Any sort of drill that creates variation in how you're running or cutting, changing direction. This could be running up hills, running with sleds, overspeed work. You talked about wickets, stick running, whether it's overhead or on your back, um, any of these types of drills. And again, it comes back to, we don't want to stray too far from speed and speeds of volatile quality, right? If we do a really good job building up speed, it can dissipate relatively quickly. If we don't keep, we don't keep training it, but we obviously just don't want to go out onto a field or onto a track and hammer away max speed fifties for the entire year. And 
you know, burn the athletes out because then they won't get faster. Right. And so one of the really useful things I've found with these drills is they allow you to work at high velocities year round effectively. Cause that that's the challenge with track is how do we work high velocity training year round without like plateauing or creating like a stagnation effect and hills, sleds, wickets, stick running, all that type of stuff are ways that we can create variation in the movement. So we can still keep running fast and doing things at high velocities, but there is that constraining aspect, which then prevents the output from being 100%, right? So if I throw a stick on someone's back, if I have somebody run through wickets, if I have them run on a sled, the intention can still be 100%. You are trying to move as fast as you can. The limb velocities are still going to be quite high. So we're working on that high speed coordination timing of where's our body in space? When are we applying force on the ground? But we're, we're limiting the overall output. If you run with a sled, you might only be going 80 or 85% of your top speed. Right. So now I can safely have you do something with 100% intention, but not necessarily get 100% output. And so that allows us to stay sharp with the coordination aspect of high velocity movement. And then also allows us to stay in touch with the speed aspect kind of at, at the same time and keeps us in a safe place where, like you said, we're not necessarily prepared to at the start of the year, send one of our track athletes out in spikes and rip 80 meters as fast as they can, or taking a football, soccer, rugby player, putting them on cleat in cleats on a turf field and running flying 30 sprint or a 40 yard dash or something like that. We're, we're not prepared just to unleash that velocity right away. And these are ways that we can, we can still focus on the goals of the outcomes that we need in speed training or change a direction, but then keep it present and keep it in a safe uh, output. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I think I really like what you said there, like, you know, are they prepared to unleash? I really like that word. Unleash those velocities within that drill that you just, you know, had prescribed, right? And it, and if they're if they're not, then what are we doing? And and I'm gonna pose it to you, kind of what are we doing to prepare them for that those flying thirties that maybe we have in the program in four weeks, right? Or we want to get to some some tempo based runs where they are kind of in that. Um, top speed posture they maybe not be going um 100 of their speed but they're in that posture they are recruiting those muscles and hamstring and posterior chain but we don't want to see the injury potential go up and maybe that's why people stay away from those type of drills i've had really good success some of my court sport athletes doing tempo runs whether that's um on a curved treadmill in the winter or outside you know on a track or on a field but what are we doing to prepare them for that, for that both technically, um, but also is there some, you know, specific um, activation or, or exercises that we should be putting in, in the weeks leading up to that for those areas that, so they are ready to unleash that, that speed. This is not a fancy answer by any means, but we talked about some of the constraints with, you know, the drills, obviously can slow things down in terms of an output. 
not from a limb velocity coordination aspect, but from output. And there's other things that we can do to control the output as well, whether that's the footwear. So are you wearing spikes or cleats or are you in flats? Uh, the surface, are you on a hard, unforgiving surface that's going to make you run very fast, like a synthetic track? Or you want a more forgiving surface like artificial turf or grass or something like that. So these are all variables that we can play around with. And accelerating, let's say somewhere in the avenue of seven to 10 steps is a very safe thing to do. And you can put somebody on a turf field or grass field in flats and have them do, you know, 10 meter excels or 15 meter excels. And that allows you to build some of the speed, some of the velocity, and you're typically going to remain in positions that are not too open in that upright running sense. And that can be a great tool to prepare the athlete for those high velocity movements down the road. And so we can, we can use things like that to prep the athletes for that stuff. And we do a lot of that in track and field. We'll start with, you know, shorter Excel work. And that was some of the first stuff we did in the winter coming back from the lockdown. We were on the turf field in flats. Let's do 10 yard Excels. It's going to be safe. Uh, you know, we're going to be able to handle that type of work. And that allows us to introduce the high speed velocity. And then obviously in an upright position, maybe we want to introduce some of the constraints and maybe we start with, with wicket running where the spacing isn't too aggressive. So it keeps their, the stride cycle a little bit tighter or more compact. Maybe we use, we, we use grass surfaces and put them on flats so they can't actually get the output or maybe we have them run with a stick. The stick takes the arms out of it, challenges the coordination, but then also limits the output. So those would be kind of the two like big things. Is there a way that you can contain or limit the, let's say the call it the size or the amplitude of the upright running and Excel work. Like I said, that can be, can be a really safe way to go about it because you're likely not going to run into a lot of problems, you know, accelerating five, 10 meters to build uh, effectively the base to then start to stretch that out further and further as you get into the off season. Yeah. I think that's, that's a way that I, I didn't really think about it until we started talking about this stuff. Uh, you know, maybe a year ago, eight months ago was, was using, constraints or, or using these drills that we see um, as a progression piece or as a piece like you like you said to limit the output and limit the, the position of, of their stride. And so now I'm putting less stress on the hamstring group and less stress on this these uh, tissues because I'm limiting either the space or the velocity. And I never really thought about it like that. I just thought, well, you know, if we were going to prepare the tissues, well, we just got to do some prehab stuff or we got to do some hamstring isolated work or whatever. And then we just build that up to the point where we can now run uh, down, you know, a certain distance and, and we are going to progress the distances, but even as progressing the distances, you're still, not, you're not progressing the stride itself. You're not regressing the stride itself. You're not limiting the stride itself. You're just limiting the distance, the amount of times they do that but you're not limiting the actual 
single time they do it in the range of motion within that single step. So I think that's just such a key piece. Um, you know, you posted on your social media a little while ago, some hamstring, you know, I, I want to say maybe decelerate deceleration type. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of things that, that you can definitely do at home. And obviously as we're recording now, you guys are completely locked down or shut down, whatever the technical term is that the provincial government's using. Yeah. <laughs> but there's definitely things that you can do at home to kind of prepare some of these, some of these things. So it is a little bit more challenging to get some of that high velocity continuous movement in, depending on the space that you have uh, available, especially in the last lockdown we had, it was through the winter months. Right. So people were kind of stuck being, being indoors. Obviously if you have outdoor space, even if we're in, in a, a quarantine, individuals can still go out there on yep. their own. But if you're, if you're trapped at home, a couple of things that I think you can, you can do is, yeah, we, you touched a little bit on that decelerative work. So are there things that you can do to kind of rapidly move the body from one position to another and then stabilize or stop the force from, you know, moving you into to a different position. Cause if you think about sprinting, there's a point where we're moving the limb at a very high velocity coming down into the ground. And then we got to be strong and stable as we apply force into the ground. And then we got to be loose and relaxed again, as we come back through the cycle and you're going through these, these stages of high tension to apply force and low tension to get the force moving really, really quickly. So yeah, the, the hamstring catch that you alluded to that I posted about was, you know, an example of that, uh, you know, something like snap downs, is a really, uh, you know, easy progression that you can do at home. And so, yeah, there, there's a lot of different things you can do to get creative with that. One of the other elements that can be really helpful is sort of that reactive, that reactivity or the elastic component, right? So the way our foot strikes almost flat on the ground, and then we have to rebound or use that energy and kind of quickly get off the ground to keep our stride moving quickly. So there's a lot of in place kind of jumping that you can do some of these pogo hops where you're trying to keep the leg nice and stiff. Yep. So you're thinking about locking the knees, squeezing your butt cheeks as hard as you can, and you're moving through the ankle and you're trying to just be like an, like a spring, just boom, boom, boom off the ground. Uh, you can do that on two legs. You can do that on one leg. You could do it in place. You can travel forwards, backwards, sideways, all that type of stuff. And that can be really helpful for preparing the foot and the ankle for some of the, the contact and the forces that are going to go through it. So if you're stuck at home, you can do some of these, this decelerate, like decelerative, uh, you know, isometric kind of combo movements to prepare the larger muscle groups to produce and stop the force. But then you can also use some of these hopping and reactive type movements to prepare the foot and the ankle and the, the lower leg as well with the forces it's going to deal with in running. And again, I, this isn't limited to just sprinting in a straight line. That's why I talk about traveling forward, traveling backwards, two legs, one legs. It, a lot of this stuff happens and change of direction is no different right? in terms yeah. of the forces going through and things like that. So those would be probably the two off the top of my head as you asked me that question that, that can make a big difference if you're, stuck in lockdown because some of these athletes are going to come back and be, and be prepared. 
Yeah, I think to do at least some of the introductory stuff. Yeah, we we think immediately a lot of times of preparing the hamstring and and um, for that kind of top end work and but we sometimes don't think about what's happening at the foot and what's happening at the, in the calf complex. Right. And is it dealing able to deal with that stability and reactive piece, um, you know, an, an elasticity piece, like you, you mentioned, is it ready for that as well? I mean, that, that rudiment jump series that kind of, you know, uh, has been popularized, but, you know, by different people, um, has come across, you know, it maybe started on the track, but it has come across multiple sports because that's important for everybody. Or maybe it's people immediately think about it for jumping sports like volleyball or, or basketball or something like that, but maybe not so much for, for running sports. And it's like, yeah, well, that, you're, like you said, you're contacting the ground really quick. And in a sport like track and field where the contact time on the ground is so fast, um, you can't afford you know, that energy to dissipate or there to be a little bit of a, of a leak down there. Um, yeah, that's a great one. Again, space is not a limiter for those. You, you, you know, you could do it as long as you have a little bit of, of, of ceiling height, you're not bonking your head, but. Um, yeah. And you, know, you shouldn't necessarily go that high. Cause again, there's a difference between using the hip and the ankle or sorry, the hip and the knee to project you upwards in comparison to keeping the hip and the knee relatively locked. That's not a great term because then you're right, but yeah, squeezing the joints too hard, but yeah, keeping stiff. them stiff and it's yeah. uh, it's coming through the ankle and the lower leg. Yeah. So again, then ceiling height even becomes less of a restrictor. Right. Because yeah. you're not going to be going as high because it's all the reactivity through the foot. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the only thing to watch, I guess, is well, you know, when uh, same idea when we talk about uh, skipping or jumping rope inside is again, what's the surface that you're on? Are you in your basement where it's, you know, poured concrete? Are you, you know, on hardwood floor? Maybe if you're in the second floor, you're in an apartment, that's a little bit different. Can you go outside and use the backyard? Do you have a little grass space yeah, in the back or in the front? You know, is there an opportunity there? So just kind of being mindful of the surface, if you are stuck inside and, and how we're same way you would, if you're smart. outside. Right. Yeah. Am I using turf? Am I using grass? Am I using asphalt track? Yeah, it should oh that yeah, that's a great point that should always be thinking about the surface. Yeah. And what does that do? Um no, I think that's that's some awesome stuff there, some great takeaways. We're gonna shift a little bit. I got again, you talked about your experience, you know, within two universities, uh settings before getting to u of a and multiple sports um one of my favorite movies i don't know if my is my necessarily my top favorite movie but it's, uh back to the future hamstring stuff to do at your house you know we were all you know rocked up inside and um you know can you talk a little bit about some of those things as best as you can um that we could maybe do now like everybody's locked up we're not really we can't even be together as a group but um, you know, is there some, some things, and then those things can be obviously added into our prep period or our warm up. you know, so if you could, if you could jump in the DeLorean with, uh, Marty McFly and kind of go back to a time or a situation within your career that, you know, you'd like to offer your younger self a little guidance. And, and again, it doesn't have to be super serious or, or it could be, but, um, you know, maybe you went right and and maybe you'd say hey hey young tommy let's take a left here um this one might surprise you but i think i would go back in time i say i think i would i would go back in time 
And I would probably get myself when I first started coaching at Waterloo. So I think I would have been 22 and I would have said, you need to figure out the social media thing. Right. Because I was, I think the last person in my high school to get Facebook still don't even use it. I mean, it's not even relevant anymore. Um, never was really big with, with social media stuff. I don't really like it, but I'm discovering that it can be a great tool to connect with people and it doesn't have to be a time suck and take away a whole bunch of time that you could have been using for other things. And so I've really only been, I'd say very good about using social media from like a coach or professional standpoint in like the last couple of months. And so for myself, I would say to go back and start, start figuring out how to use that as a tool. Cause there's a lot of points in my career where I think, okay, I could have stayed in better touch with people that I knew at Waterloo, better, you know, connections with people I knew in Hamilton, rather than trying to now go back and like, oh, I haven't spoke to that person in like five years or six years. And it can be a little bit trickier to, to kind of navigate that. So I think that would be kind of the big go back in time and, and start to figure out how to use it sooner rather than now, which I get for a lot of young people is not going to be an issue because I'm the anomaly when it comes to not knowing how to use social media and, and not even liking it. But I think there's a lot of potential there and I'm starting to figure that out now, but I would have liked to have had it figured out a lot sooner. Right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think I might know the answer to this one, um, oh, but okay. I'm not sure. Um, you know, we all love our jobs. We all love what we do, but at the same time, we do need time to, you know, fill the tank back up and, um, you know, it's, as they say, it's hard to pour from an empty cup. But that's what's a good you, phrase. I've never yeah. heard that. Oh, no. I like that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good, good one. one. I'm going to yeah. steal that. Um, I'll give so you credit though. Don't worry. <laughs> don't, it came from someone else. Um, so what's your escape? What do you do to, you know, recharge the batteries, um, allow your mind to kind of get away from the profession a little bit? Um, what does that look like for you? I feel like you're, it, the answer is probably 50, 50. I feel like you're, you, you, I have a feeling I, I know what you were thinking. Uh, for me, it would definitely be music. You know, as you talked about, I love, love my metal music. love my EDM music as well. I know they're in very different worlds, how that works. I don't know. Um, but I, I love my music. I love playing my guitar. I love playing my bass. I can get lost for a very long time. If I pick that thing up going, I'm just going to play one song. And next thing you know, an hour and a half can disappear. And so for me, that's, that's probably the big escape that, that I have. I find motorsport a little too stressful to be a true escape. It's, it's competitive. I'm like, I'm dialed into it. So that's why I'd have to pick the music. There's much more of a relaxing and there's a disconnect entirely from, from sport and training and, and coaching. Awesome. No, I, um, I think it's great to, to know the difference. Like you've recognized, like, this is what I do to really get away and, and really kind of, you know, what happens to my mindset when I'm playing guitar and it's really an escape. And then this is what happens if I just want to chill out, you know, I watch some F1 or I watch some motorsport, but I, but I understand that I'm not going to be relaxed. I'm, I'm watching be, a sport yeah, and I'm, I'm still be, thinking about team dynamics and what's going. Yeah. But like I said, the music is just 
I'm not even thinking about sport or training. Right. You're just right. one note at a time. Um, no, that's awesome, man. Um, some really, really great stuff. Um, I appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, I appreciate you inviting me. I mean, it, like I said, it means a lot. I look at the, the names of the people that you've had on and the people that you're going to have on. And the fact that you're throwing my name around in the discussion with those people means a lot to me. That's so thank you for, for having me on. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can, we can have you back on as, as you continue to, to be a really big influence in, in how I think about speed and, and how I think about applying speed to team sport. And, um, you know, I value our, our relationship and our, and our friendship that's grown over the years. And, um, again, thanks so much for coming on. No, I, I appreciate it. It's been a ton of fun. And for anyone listening who wants to like ask me anything, reach out, like more than happy to open up the dialogue of the discussion and, and, and go from there. So don't think that I'm a, I'm a closed book and you, you can't come ask me anything. So everything will be in the, sh in the show notes and, Again, if you have any any questions, you can um, let me know and, and I can kind of link you guys up with, with Coach Tommy as well. Absolutely. Awesome. <laughs>